Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is, of course, Taylor Payne, and I'm joined by two lovely chaps, Chris Woff and George Coggan. How are we doing, boys? Um, all right, thank you. How about yourself? Not bad at all. It's not doing well. Yes, I'm okay, thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to be looking at some polls that George has put out on Twitter, and I must say the results are rather fascinating. We're going to be talking about all the stuff that's important in Newcastle United at the minute and, and getting your feedback as well on those issues that, uh, that George has put out there. How are we doing, chaps, anyway? George, are you all right, man? I'm a little bit worried about you at the minute. You've been through some trauma recently, haven't you? I have, yeah. I had a tooth extracted um, on oh, Friday. From your mouth? Indeed, yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. Nobody bit you I mean, or anything, was it? <laughs> no, and it's, no, it's a very important clarification, not from my buttocks or anything. No, I had, a, I had 75 minutes of a tooth being hammered, pulled, pushed, drilled, sawn out of my mouth. And now, yes. having had a cricket ball-sized lump in my face mm-hmm. over the weekend, I now look like, just look like I've got been beaten up I've got a black eye so but it's I've got the look of someone who's just watched too much Newcastle I was going to say not a trivialiser but it does actually sound preferable to watching that Newcastle Chelsea game again doesn't oh, it oh no it was I said that on Twitter yeah yeah I mean my top top three things my top three things that have happened in the previous 24 hours I said absolutely everything else followed by 75 minutes of having my tooth extracted see New, the first half of Newcastle versus Chelsea outstanding Chris how are you are you okay yeah, I'm alright. I'm just, I've just I didn't quite have the the traumatic dental surgery that the George did, but I did unfortunately <laughs> have to sit through the game at St James's Park on Saturday. And I know I keep saying it, and mm. I realise how privileged a position I am to be there. But similar, I don't know to, if it I is think, a privilege in a minute. Well, it, this is. <laughs> I don't think it is. It's a privilege and a curse. That. A privilege well, and a curse. But it's similar to I think George expressed a similar um, sort of feelings after. Newcastle actually beat uh, Everton a few weeks ago, and I think George has yeah. derived more from the fact that, that there aren't fans there, and that is still mm. something which I really struggle with. But even more so on, on on Saturday, I just left the stadium and just felt so deflated, as I'm sure every Newcastle fan watching at home oh, did, because absolutely. it was just it it just felt wrong from very well. Actually, there was 90 seconds where they attacked. After the first 90 seconds, it just felt wrong, and it just felt the same as we're seeing every week, and it was a struggle. I couldn't even muster up any anger. That's how that's how bad it got. I mean, I, normally I'm shouting at the TV and swearing and you know getting annoyed and stuff like that, but I kind of just felt defeated by the whole thing. I was just watching it going, oh, f- oh well. But, they, but that's kind of but how they play, horrible. isn't it, Taylor? It's how they play, Taylor. I well, mean, yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's it's that sort of thing. They they do they lull you into that kind of feeling of of inertia because they're playing like it's inertia. It's you know. It's not that like ah oh, backs against the wall battle fight tackle push press you know best of and British best of British and give yourself something to <laughs> you know give yourself something to hold on to and buy into yeah. this and yeah okay it's not pretty but with the dogs of war we can do you know it's not yeah. like that it's there's not nothing you you watch the team there's nothing to hang on to I mean it it makes you sort of angry at some points but I mean that that. You're right. The kind of the, the, almost the worst thing is you sort of your attention drifts. You look elsewhere. It's not. Oh, it's horrible. It's so difficult to. It's so difficult to kind of explain. But it really is. Um, it is. It's that passive feeling of sort of inertia and just life gradually ebbing out of you. 
Well, we're going to do something. <laughs> Thanks for that, George. That's really set up the podcast beautifully. Um, we're going to do something slightly different today as well. Um, George put out a load of polls on Twitter less than an hour ago, and there's still 10 hours and 46 minutes left on a lot of these polls. But I have to say the results on them are pretty damn, uh, well, you know, you, you can't argue with them, basically. There's there's, there's no uh, maybes or one could win over another here. Um, the, the results are pretty conclusive, I have to say. They've already had... Uh, over two and a half thousand votes on some of these polls, uh, 2,300 people on some. What I don't understand is who's looking at the top one of these polls and then going yes to that and then not doing the rest. I don't understand <laughs> that. Who's Because on one of them, there's 2,581, 2,788 votes, and one of them's only got 2,200 and odd. Who, which arsehole is, is not clicking on every poll? Chris, was well, that you? Yeah, sorry, everyone. <laughs> so, so the context for this is... I've, having sort of chatted with Chris today about the match and how we're feeling and all those yeah. things that we've just talked about now, that kind of mix of anger and apathy and inertia and uh, mm. sort of, I don't know, confusion maybe? I don't know. I wanted to I want to kind of write about that. So these, this was sort of an attempt to sort of structure what I was writing, but then it does feel like a good way of... of of using this pod to sort of explain, to talk about the stuff that matters, whether it's the match the weekend, individual players, Steve Bruce himself, the takeover, all those sorts of things, and and sort of take it from there, really. So, yeah, let's let's do it. Well, let's start with the first one. And you have asked the experience of watching Newcastle United this season is... uh, The first option was life-affirming. The second option was soul-crushing. And the third option was meh. And what I'll say is soul-crushing is absolutely crushing this. And it has received 80% of the votes so far. So the experience of watching Newcastle United this season is soul-crushing, George. What do you say about that? Well, yeah. I mean, almost uh, sort of almost the more sort of startling statistic is that one percent of people have chosen life affirming. So you know, we're we we we've been told since March or whenever it was that almost that football is on the front line of this lockdown, mm. and it's the duty of football and footballers to sort of entertain us and lift lift the mood and make us feel less concerned and worried about life at the minute. And Newcastle are doing precisely the fucking yeah. opposite they're making us feel worse about yeah, life totally. and and it's not a surprise none of the, in fact none of these answers are actually a surprise but the the you know the, the extremity of the figures is kind of startling just seeing it there in black and white and i think that is the problem with with newcastle at the minute if we're talking about we're talking very specifically about watching the team play this season it is joyless it is joyless mm, absolutely. and we have a question about pundits and punditry as well <laughs> a bit later on but yeah. this answer is quite a good retort to those sorts of people who look at the team absolutely, and see the league yeah. position and kind of say what are those moaning jo- i don't know why i was doing australian accent there um what are these you know why why are these geordies moaning they just want the champions league all this kind of nonsense and aren't understanding what it is like to watch yeah. the team uh, week in week out, and so let's we should talk about Chelsea because that's obviously in the form. Yeah. That was the most recent. That was the most recent game. And Chris, you were in the stadium, but uh, I, just watching it, 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 it just doesn't feel like there's any sort of noticeable 
improvement, whether it's the system, whether it's the players' concern, that there's nothing, there's just like nothing happening there. And I look at that first half, and there was there wasn't a redeeming feature from it, was there? If you, it's the last two performances, and it's the fact that we've gone from from Southampton and they've had a fortnight to work on things, and I think ten of the starting lineup had been there for for the fortnight or hadn't been away on international duty. I think it was only Jamal uh, Lewis who was away, and you couldn't work out what they tried to do in that period of time as to what they'd actually changed from the Southampton game. They were passive again. There was still no clear attacking plan. I know they were without Callum Wilson, but it just felt as if you could have kicked the game off the day after Southampton and it was just the same sort of performance. And that, that's what yeah. I think a lot of people are finding so frustrating at the moment is it's not even the fact that Newcastle are playing badly. It's the fact that they're playing badly and you can't even see what they're working towards. Bruce keeps saying they're a work in progress, but what 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 is it? What is the end goal? What is it that they're moving towards? What is that idea that they're going towards? I'm sick of hearing that, Chris, to be honest. I'm sick of hearing work in progress. I'm absolutely sick of hearing it. Like how long does how long does that take? Do you know what I mean? It's eighteen months now that we've had. How long can you be a work in progress for before you need to start asking some serious questions? And that that performance was that performance was was more passive than than the Southampton game. I thought I was watching the Southampton game, game thinking we can't get any worse than this. And then the Chelsea game kicked off, and I thought we're actually worse. We're worse than we were at Southampton because at Southampton at least there was there was some redeeming features. There was occasionally where they tried something out, or they did this or they did that. We had second half. Joel Linton had that header and the keeper saved it and he came on and we played okay second half. But that Chelsea game was just it was awful. It was just shocking, um, and I didn't think we could get any more passive. But then we just again rolled over and let, had our had our tummy tickled by Chelsea basically, and that was it. It was horrible. I agree. I mean, I I. Absolutely and completely agree. I mean, I've I've had this theory, which I've talked about repeatedly, you know, about Newcastle kind of lurching from one thing to another and, you know, they'll get a result or a decent result and then they'll stick with that system or line-up or whatever for a couple of games and then something really bad will happen again and then they set off on this process. I mean, I half thought... I half thought there might be a bit of a response after Southampton, particularly, as Chris says, after the two-week break, that they would have had a chance to sort of work on anything. And, yeah, the the, the really sort of distressing, alarming side of it was that there just, there just wasn't. I mean, I think my gut feeling is still that, you know, that they'll be okay, that there are enough really bad teams beneath them who have sort of no points. And I think Newcastle will be capable of, of getting that response and winning you know winning the odd game but it it is that sense of just this sort of almost drift drift followed by lurch followed by lurch followed by drift and no real sense of sort of anything at the end of it and again I'm going to repeat a point I made last week but as a manager the idea is you take excuses away from your team and from players you put them in an environment where they've got no excuses but to perform and as a footballer how does that come to pass? Well, what you want to do, what you want is you want to know what you're doing. You want to know what your job is. You want to know what your role in the team is, and you want to be confident that everybody else in your team knows what they're doing and knows what their job is. And I certainly can't speak for for the for the footballers themselves, but I can speak for what I see. And I just look at a team that doesn't have that sense of what it's supposed to be doing, or knows yeah. what it's supposed to be doing, or what the idea is. They sit back, but they don't necessarily defend brilliantly. And no. they have counter-attacking players. They have players with with pace, but they don't counter-attack. So what is it that they're doing? And again, this this sort of flicking between systems, it's just it's it feels confused and confusing. 
and um, yeah, it's it's just it's it's awful. The thing that you were saying about us defending well is, or like, it's the illusion of defending well, isn't yes, it? Because yeah, you're sitting yeah, back, sitting in, back. A, yeah. in a in a in a row five with a row four in front, and Callum Wilson or whoever Joe Linton standing scratching his arse on the halfway line. Um, but what we used to do is we used to defend deep with with organised rows of four and five. But then there was always uh, there was always an intent to get out and nick the ball or to get out and put somebody under pressure or to press someone into making a mistake in our half of the pitch and then launching a counter-attack. Whereas now it feels like it's sort of sit back until the opposition either kick the ball out or have a shot. And that's it. It doesn't feel like there's any other options. It doesn't feel like there's any other plan than wait until the opposition have had their turn and then we'll boot it back up the pitch and lose possession again. That's what it was against Chelsea. It was just... Your turn, our turn, your turn. But our turn only lasts a couple of seconds and then you get your turn again. And it was just ridiculous. It was a horrible, horrible game of football to watch. Well, picking up on the on the formations point, the thing that I've been thinking about over the last week and which is really, I'm, I'm struggling to, to grasp is that for so long, Bruce said he wanted to play with, with four at the back and he wanted to have wingers and and he changed either side of lockdown to 4-2-3-1. And it worked for a period. And then Newcastle got quite a few injuries. He shifted back to, to the five-man defence. And only once this season have they played that system. And he played it against Burnley, Burnley that game. won. Yeah. And, and won, Joe yeah. Linton probably looked at his best in that sort of number 10 role. Then the week after, inexplicably, Joe Linton was playing as a right winger in a 4-1-4-1 formation. And since then, they've abandoned that. And uh, Maybe Chelsea wasn't the game to revert back to it at, but although I, I don't see why it would have been any worse than what we saw on Saturday if they got to it, but I would like to see something like that on, on Friday night and just see. Mm. Newcastle seemed to be playing quite well. They then got injuries and then they had to change things and I understand all of that and it was square pegs and round holes in the last sort of half dozen games of last season. But I don't think that that system was shown to be like irretrievably broken. Not Whereas it's not as if this five-man defence and 5-3-2 or whatever they're playing, it's not like it's been overly successful and you shouldn't revert back to that. That's what I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with that, why that has been abandoned when he said that that was what he wanted to do for so long. And it's not like the 4-2-3-1 we got battered every week either, every time we played it. We actually, we look comfortable in it. It looked like the players knew what they were doing in that formation. And the other thing, I mean, I suppose if you're if you're taking the, this question sort of literally, and Newcastle being life affirming, well, Newcastle do have a player or two who are capable of that, and yeah. the biggest one, obviously, is Alan Saint Maxima. And sadly, over the past few weeks, he's been yeah. anything but life affirming. It's been really disappointing to see him sort of cut such a. Um, sort of sad figure almost, you, you know, not getting on the ball, not having an impact, not scoring, not not uh, not setting up chances. And he's somebody that you've... Do you think he's been worked out, George? Do you think he's well, been worked I, out by defenders? I'm going to defer to... I'm going to defer to Chris here simply because he's he's written a piece about him which you'll be mm, able to read yeah. on the site, theathletic.com. And, um, yeah, so he is, he's you know, he is obviously the sort of enigma of the team but he's the one fella that can get you off your backside um even if it's a virtual backside at the minute so chris i mean have you found anything in particular to sort of explain what's happening with him at the minute well i think like sam maxima himself it's not a sort of singular issue it's not he's he's a he's a complex character he's complex in many ways and i think that this is this in itself i don't think it's necessarily i know that alan shearer on um match of the day said he hasn't 
uh, lifted a finger or whatever it was since since he signed his new contract, and there's other people saying it's because he shifted position. I think there's a combination of a lot of factors, and I've looked into the the statistics behind this, and he, he's played seven games as a centre forward for Newcastle since he signed, and he think it's twenty odd as, as a left winger. And what is interesting is that he gets more touches when he plays in this sort of central role. But he actually has far fewer touches in the box. He has less than half the number of touches in the opposition box. And I think that the problem, when Sam Maximan is is more central, he isn't given the license to come in off his wing and to really affect things in in that sense. And and, and he does become a little bit more predictable. And I think that it's easier for for teams to to sort of get grasping him. Two, two seconds. That's my door. I'll, I'll just be two seconds. <laughs> I'm not sure if this is perfect. I don't think he would be doing this if the BBC is this part of came, the, is this part came of on the for track? him. I'm not sure that I accept Chris just walking off mid-sentence and going to answer no, his not, door. It's made me feel very uncomfortable. Hey, if you were Mark Chapman on BBC Monday Night Football or something like that, Chris just fucks off and answers the door because Amazon's door. ringing his door. I'm not having this. Mind you, I'm on Chris's side here of Hermes because you don't know where that parcel could end up. What I will say, George, is the the, the life affirming part of this poll, which is the one percent, um, <laughs> we can't we can't uh, we have to adjust for Mackham agitators, don't we? You know. Well, so yes, there, yes. There, there might not be Newcastle fans who think this is a life affirming no, thing. <laughs> no, but I mean exactly. I've just had a message from somebody off Twitter saying, "I'm sorry, I pressed the life affirming by mistake." <laughs> um, Chris, <laughs> I meant to do the one, but I meant to do the one below. Um, but no, I mean so yes, absolutely. Everything with these polls are non-scientific. Mm. But having said that, um, you know, I'm, I've been reporting on Northeast football for a long time. Um, and if you, you know, put in or take out a margin for error in terms of that, I mean, you st- the, the, the point is none of these polls are, are close. I mean, there's no, um, you know, even if you add in uh, pe- people, people sort of taking the mickey a bit, there's it's it hasn't affected it that much has it yeah. so that's the thing that's it well before we move on to the next one remember you can read chris's allenson maximum piece in full on theathletic.com right now uh, just go to theathletic.com forward slash newcastle uh, and subscribe for just one pound a week that's a fantastic deal chris are you there uh, I'm out of breath a little bit. Bloody hell, going up and down the what stairs. What was it? Last week, last week, I did it on the po- last week I did it while, while the podcast was going on and you guys didn't notice this week, though. It was, uh, some, Alice has had some delivery. I have no idea what it is. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh. And despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. This is the most emphatic uh, result of the polls that George has put out. Uh, the question was, have Newcastle United Football Club improved as a team under Steve Bruce? Uh, we have got 
yes, sitting currently on 2% of the vote, undecided on 1%, and no, uh, if you're good at maths, you've worked that out already, at 96%. That's 2,500 people who voted for that, George. 96% don't think Newcastle United have improved under Steve Bruce. Yeah, and again, you know, even allowing for the unscientific nature of it and the possibility for vote tempering, stop the count, stop the count. Um, that is just really emphatic, isn't it? And you cannot ignore that. I think this is the problem that there is when the manager talks about work in progress, which we mentioned at the at the top, that... All right, fine. The, we've, I think we've explained. You always have to explain things with Newcastle. You always have to kind of provide a context, and it's important everywhere. But I think mm. it always feels like at Newcastle, there's, there's, that there's, you know, there's almost thirteen years of context really at the yeah. club, and that's behind sort of everything. But having said that, this is now a season and a half. And yes, okay, so the context last season was the the huge trauma of Benitez leaving and then in terms of team, um, Rondon leaving, that was the club's fault, obviously, um, or not being signed permanently, and then Perez leaving. And added on top of that, recruitment that Bruce wasn't responsible for, albeit he took ownership of. So, you know, majorly we're talking about Gillington again. But... It gets more and more difficult as the games go on and months go on and weeks go on for that context to be relevant. You know, I've always sort of based my judgment on the support a manager has or doesn't have on the noise inside the stadium, basically. But when we can't do that now. I mean, we, we just can't do that now because it doesn't exist. And so, you know, what it would be like inside St. James's Park now if, if fans were there. There are so many mm. unknowns because perhaps yeah. Newcastle would play better in front of their own fans as opposed to an empty stadium. You just don't know. But this is so emphatic that you can't ignore it. It's damning. It's particularly damning after what they did in the summer when... Uh, we thought that, you know, Isaac Hayden has said the same thing, that this is arguably now the best squad that Newcastle have had, since certainly since he's been there. Um, mm -hmm. And they're not showing that. They're not playing like it. And there's no getting away from it. The manager takes responsibility. Not to uh, not to uh, question the the validity of your poll, George, at all, but what I would like to have seen as well in this is the the no column, which is ninety six percent at the minute. The the question is, have NUFC improved as a team under Steve Bruce? Now that no answer encompasses people who think we've not gotten any better, but we haven't gotten any worse, and also people who think we've got worse. I would like to see what percentage of people think we've actually regressed as a team. Personally, I think we've got worse. I think the the quality of the football's got worse. I don't know how you feel about that, Chris. I don't. I don't think that in terms of if you look at the team overall and you compare it to the first day of the season against Arsenal last year and Saturday, I don't think that Newcastle have improved in any way. I mean, in terms of individual players, I know Wilson wasn't playing on Saturday, but if you're going for individual players in certain positions, I think that they now have some better players. And I don't think I'm not, I don't think Sam Maximan started that, that Arsenal game either, if I'm correct. I think he made his full debut at Spurs and then came off injured. So I think there are better players in the team now than there was... In the first day of last season, but I don't think that it's a better team. I don't think they've progressed. I don't think they've improved. I still don't know. Uh, then I had an idea of how they were trying to play, or certainly five, six games in the season I did. Once the Norwich debacle was out of the way, you got a bit of an idea as to what they were trying to do. Mm -hmm. But nine games into this season, I still, I still 
I'm unclear as to what the direction of travel is. Yeah. So just just linking to that poll as well, the next one we've got is, does Steve Bruce have your support as Newcastle United head coach? Uh, 4% have said yes, uh, 89% of people have said no, and 7% of people are still undecided. That's out of 2,600 people. Um, he did have my support for a long, 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 long time because I thought he was in a difficult position. Um, but now I'm not seeing anything which suggests to me that things are going to improve uh, under him. Um, I know you guys are in a, in a difficult position with this. You're not going to put your own sort of uh, general opinions on this. But personally, as a fan, I feel like I can say at the minute he doesn't have my support. And I think that poll is pretty telling as well. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to... It's it's You can't argue with that number. And so, if nothing else, you have to respect it and listen to it. And, I, you know, I would want... I would want I'm not trying to say that the club should be paying attention to me on Twitter, because I don't mean that. But that level... That level of um, lack of support is extraordinary, again. And so, that means that he's in trouble. I mean, he's in trouble in the sense that if this stadium... If the stadium was full... He would have lost the crowd. I mean, that's what that means, and it becomes very, very difficult for a manager to bring things back round again at that point. So, that is big, big warning signs. And I'm going to add in the next poll, a to, to make this a bit briefer, but also to sort of mm. provide a bit more context around this, which was Newcastle are fifteenth in the table. What is most responsible for the team not being higher? Ashley's ownership, Bruce's management, players underperforming, no fans, dash COVID. And there's a bit of a split here. A few people have kind of said it's it's kind of in some ways an unfair question because if you Mm. didn't have... Ashley's ownership, then you wouldn't have Bruce's management, and that's yeah, fair true. enough. But yeah. but I was trying. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be a loaded question, but again, Ashley's ownership that's thirty seven percent. Bruce's management is nearly sixty percent, and the other, neither of the others figure. So putting those th- two things together, it does say that Bruce has a real problem now, and it's it's this weird problem because it only exists in our heads online. Um, in in screaming into the wilderness of nothing nothingness, but this is not a good place for a coach or manager to be, and that does mean that I think there needs to be a rethink or a change of attitude or a change of plan, whatever you call it. But that is that is damning. You can't. I mean, almost saying that that kind of phrase on used on Twitter a lot. Oh, but he's a good bloke. Is, has become mm-hmm. a kind of cliche yeah. and a laugh and stuff like that. So yeah. I'm happy to put my cards on on the table. I really like him as a as a as a as a man. I'm also yeah. happy to to repeat. I didn't want him to take the job in the first place, and yes. I wrote about that at the time for absolutely this reason. And you know, it's 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 this really peculiar thing how a fella who comes from up here, there just isn't a there isn't a connection between him and supporters. And that, again, is a historical problem. But it's this is proper danger. This is proper da- danger stuff. I don't know what Chris thinks. Well, Chris, I was just about to say, Chris, it puts me in mind of Alan Pardew when he was at his, at his lowest point when the fans... Uh, wouldn't let him out with a dugout uh, in a game at St James's Park. I don't know if you remember this. I can't remember who it was against. Can you remember, Chris? Cardiff. 
Was it Cardiff? Cardiff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they wouldn't let they wouldn't let Alan Pardew out of the dugout, and I'm kind of wondering whether that would be happening now to Steve Bruce in the situation we're in. Pardew, of course, has just taken the job at uh, CSK Sofia in the Bulgarian uh, Premier League First Division, uh, and is uh, now tearing up uh, technical the director. State. Is he technical director? Is that what he I is? Think so yeah. Yeah, mm. and to complete that, Steve McLaren has been reappointed at at, at at Derby. Now he's an advisor to the board, apparently, as of as of about yeah. half an hour ago. So ex Newcastle managers, both of them having seen very close up how not to run a club, <laughs> yes, um, absolutely, probably gives them quite good experience at uh, mm. at trying to do the opposite. We'll see how they get on. Chris, do you think Steve Bruce will be dealing with something similar to what Alan Pardew went through if the if fans were in the ground at the moment? I mean, George and I had a bit of a discussion about this the other day, and George raised what well, I think is a fair point. That it's sort of, in some ways, it's difficult to to quantify that because if fans are in the ground, would the football be exactly the same as to what it is now? Would the would Newcastle be as passive? Maybe not. But even regardless of that, Newcastle aren't the only club. Every club is is playing behind closed doors. And I made this I made this point in my, in my piece the other day that that. Yet every single week, or just about every single week, it seems to happen for Newcastle. And so, yeah, if fans were there on Saturday and it was the same sort of performance, they would definitely have been uh, criticising the team. And and I actually asked Steve Bruce if he understood the frustration. And eventually he came around and said he did understand the frustration, but he didn't really explain... Uh, really, what he basically said it's because we're not getting positive results. But I don't think it is just that. I think because because no. actually Newcastle's position probably belies the actual reality of their performances. And I know they're fifteenth, mm. but they've got eleven points, which is more than they had at this stage last season and the season before. Albeit against, it, they've had slightly more favourable fixtures this year. But the performances yeah. have been so bad that yes, fans would be turning. And it's it's what I found interesting in the reports over the weekend, which I'm sure I'm sure that uh, Luke Edwards is a very very how well connected Jones, I'm sure that what he has, has reported that, that Newcastle see it as the vocal minority being out against Steve Bruce. I, I find it interesting how how do you quantify that? What who you can't. how do they know? Well, yeah, how do you know? There's no, how do you know? You there's can't. nobody in this there's nobody in the stadium. If they're just, well, they're just they're deciding that social media, which I would say is getting to the point of not being quite universal, but the vast majority of fans, certainly at the weekend on social media, was starting to turn. A lot of podcasts like True Faith and others have already turned against the manager. And so how Newcastle can can believe that that is true, that it is a vocal minority, I have no idea. But certainly, I think that, that you would be hearing a lot of, of the home supporters turn, which we didn't hear last season uh, at Newcastle. I don't think there was ever... There was points where it was very quiet, but I don't think before, obviously, fans weren't allowed in from March onwards. I don't think there was a point where it really turned, but I, I do think we'd be, we'd, we're just about reaching that stage now. And it and it does it does add to this. So this whole thing that I wanted to write about was this like sense of purgatory that Newcastle are in this, you know, are in this place that isn't full on hell. I mean, they're not. They haven't been relegated. They're not bottom of the table. They're not. You know, they're not in League One. And it definitely isn't heaven. But it's this place where nothing sort of happens and nothing gets better and nothing. You know, they're just here forever and ever and ever. And you know, the other point that Luke, uh, who's a you know, one of my closest friends wrote in, in spite of him being a huge irritant um, to all of us, um, <laughs> is that Bruce still has the club support. And that is true. I mean, that just emphasises what, what we sort of already knew and already thought. But that this club don't, don't sack managers until it's too late, most of the time. And whatever Newcastle fans might think, there isn't a hope in hell of him going unless suddenly, you know, they lose, I don't know, 10 games in a row and they're bottom and 
um, there's a chance that you know there's a chance they could get relegated. We've already talked about that um, repeatedly about why that's the case. But they're certainly not going to change managers whilst there's a chance of a takeover happening in within the next kind of couple of months because there's no point. And so and and again, there's that sense of okay, well, if they did get rid of him, who would they bring in to replace him? And I'm not trying to say that that doesn't mean you shouldn't change your manager if that needs to happen. But the point is, is that you have all of these things going around at the same time in your own head, in the atmosphere, and it's this feeling of whatever happens, it doesn't get better. Yeah. And um, anyway, it's 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 that thing. But I I mean, those figures are startling. And yeah, I think if Dumb they're on. in if they're in any way accurate, any way mm. representative, then it should be that kind of stuff should be a big wake up call to to the people on, on Barrett Road. I mean, we are regularly taught as fans over the last uh, the last few weeks and months, and even further back in time as well, that uh, you know we should be grateful for where we are as Newcastle fans, and that uh, we should stop whinging about being fifteenth and having to watch shit football every week. Uh, and the problem is with us that we're all so deluded, and we want to win the Champions League, and we think that we're entitled. Uh, and this has been the case over the last few weeks, especially being brought into focus with people like Robbie Savage and Chris Sutton, uh, Mark Lawrenson, and various other pundits. And George's next. Paul question was uh, Newcastle United and the punditry are ex-players and managers on TV and radio generally well informed about the club now I, I read about this a lot on Twitter you see a lot of people replying to stuff and I think the best people to speak to about a club are its fans and I, I think Newcastle have a very knowledgeable fan base uh, and you know we are very tribal we don't like to have things said about us we will bite back uh, but I think you can't ignore what the fans are saying and I think it's dangerous to do that um, but this poll uh, 4% of the people uh, who replied to this which is nearly 3,500 people said that the pundits talk sense that's 4% 7% said they were undecided and eight, a whopping 89% uh, said that the pundits and the former players and managers on TV and radio chat shit about Newcastle United. How does that make you feel, chaps? Chris, how does that make you feel? Well, just to to try and spin a little small positive out there and to try and detra- to try and basically differentiate the pundits. I know that there are a lot of them out there the likes of the, that you've mentioned that Mo- Lawrence and the other weekend uh, we've had ridiculous comments from Tim Sherwood and the like. But on Friday and I, I hope she doesn't Mind me mention this, I haven't actually had the chance to check whether I was going to say this, but on Friday I got a message from uh, from Sue Smith, the former England international who's a pundit, and she messaged to, to, to ask if she could call me to basically speak and chat and hear how Newcastle fans are feeling. She was saying, I've seen some Newcastle games, but I haven't seen them every week. I haven't seen full 90 minutes all the time. And I know that a lot of Newcastle fans are frustrated, so I'd like you to, to explain that so that I can then see it for myself. And so I had a good 15, 20-minute chat. She asked questions, we discussed it. And she may have watched, I mean, I'm sure from what, from what I told her to when she then watched on Saturday, that'll have crystallised everything I said. <laughs> but even if it hadn't, it's my frustration, yeah. I think, I think it sometimes gets differentiated. Is some people just will not listen to any sort of outside criticism about Newcastle from other from pundits and just it's almost like no that's our club it's like you you I can criticize my club but you can't How criticize dare my you. club yeah. but <laughs> but 
I don't have a problem with people who have different opinions when it's informed, and I've made this point before. And and so she she's rang ahead. She's tried to find out things before. I've had Danny Higginbottom in the past, in recent years, when he's been covering games at Newcastle. He rings ahead and he tries to check in on things. He tries to find out from people who, who mm, cover them every week or he speak, speaks to fans. And so that 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 I found that encouraging. And that, that I just wanted to make that point that it's not every single pundit before we have a go here. There are some pundits who do do the research and do do the work, but there are also some and, and very ill-informed y- opinions out there. Uh, and we had some very strong opinions from our our workmate uh, Big Al uh, on match of the day as well this this weekend. And you know, so it's not it isn't everybody. And there are I, I'd, I'd specifically mention players and you know, managers in that in that question. But we also know there are people like Jake Humphreys, Jake who Humphreys, are very who are who are very quick to sort of uh, give balance when one of uh, one of BT Sports pundit says something kind of contentious or controversial i mean i i just think that's brilliant of sue smith but it's it's about it's about doing research it's impossible if you think about it to to have that wealth of knowledge about a whole division of clubs it's just impossible and so i found this myself as a journalist it's like i'm told to go and you know randomly say i mean i, I was this this happened to me quite a lot at the times. It would be okay. Go and be a fresh pair of eyes at Arsenal. Go to Arsenal and write about Arsenal. Why are they all Why are they all pissed off at Arsene Wenger? And write about that. It's like, well, okay, I can't be, I can't become a expert at that overnight. I can't just look from here. It's like, well, they're third. Yeah. Why are they they're third in the table? They're a Champions League. Why are they complaining? And it's it's it's, it's exact replica of the argument at Newcastle, albeit on a different level. And. So what do you do? Well, all right. So in my case, you go, you go to that, you go to that place, and you speak to people, and you look at the club's history, and you try and immerse yourself in it as best you can. That is your responsibility. If your job is to is to talk about every club at various points, then do your homework, do your job, speak to the people who are watching the team week in, week out. And try and have a level of understanding. As I said before, I'm I'm biased towards Steve Bruce in the sense that I like him as a as a person, as an individual. But I can't defend the stuff that I've seen this season because I've seen it with my own eyes. I've watched every game that there is to watch, apart from the one that uh, we all you know we boycotted. And it's indefensible. You can't defend it. So it's not it's not enough to say oh you know Steve Bruce is a, is a good bloke and he's doing a good job you have to understand the context of what's happening and why and if you're constantly being told if you're on Twitter and you're one of these people and you're constantly being told that you're wrong and a twat find out why everybody is saying that because it's not just because of your personality or the fact that Newcastle fans are all rallying round and you know sort of defending themselves or whatever it is there's a reason and and these these figures again not scientific they just illustrate the extent of the disconnect between what people some people say about the team and the club and the reality and again i'm not i'm not shocked by any of these results but the figures are extraordinary you know the level of the level of them so that would be, I mean, really fair play to Sue Smith. I think that's great. But really, yeah, what she's doing, what she's doing, is doing a job properly. And I think, I think, speaking as a as a Newcastle fan and someone who cares about the club, the level of ignorance that is on display from people who have a privileged position, but also a very influential position, and all they do is perpetuate myths 
and lies about the club and particularly the fan base. And, you know, we've had enough. But absolutely, and I, I would love to say, you know, Robbie Savage, Chris Sutton, um, people like that who've who've voiced very uh, specific opinions about the about the club in the last couple of weeks. If you want to be more informed about the club and about why fans feel the way they do, talk to them, but talk to them properly. I don't know if you saw the clip that was going around of Chris Sutton just reeling off stats at a fan uh, who had rang in. No, and some of them weren't correct, but he was just reeling stats up at a fan. Now, what he's doing there is he's back in his own position and not listening. And this is what I think the problem is with a lot of these pundits because they get to talk, but they don't have to listen at any point. So their opinions go out there. They get paid a substantial amount of money to go on Sky Sports or BT Sport or whatever. And they put their their position out there. And the only feedback they get from that is on social media, which we've already we already know can be a, a bit of a nightmare for people just biting back and being vicious and nasty and angry and stuff like that. But if they took the time to speak to Newcastle fans, to speak to actual Newcastle fans who go to the games or who did go to the games, who were season ticket holders, who are who are people who were invested in the club, who've been lifelong fans over the years, they would understand a little bit better about what it is that we feel and what we go through as fans. Um, and until they do that, I don't think they can ever understand, and I don't think their attitudes will ever change. No, and and you have to, you have to, you know, I mean, you have to remember that if your job is you're a columnist or you're a pundit, you're, the whole idea is to have opinions. I mean, I, I, I really like Roy Keane as a. Um, I'll be careful how I say this. I love what he did at Sunderland when I was watching, you know, watching that and reporting on that, and I kind of met him and chatted with him a few times when he was. Uh, Martin O'Neill's assistant with Republic of Ireland, and I kind of, you know, I quite like some of the kind of the punditry sort of stuff he does on the, t- but on the on the TV. But it's proper shock jock stuff, isn't it? You know, that's part of what TV and radio want. They want people to have opinions. So again, I don't mind that. If your opinion is that Steve Bruce is doing a great job and everything at Newcastle is hunky dory, then okay. But please defend that with accuracy and do it based on what you're seeing, not just once every. 12 weeks or once every you know once every 20 games make an attempt to discover what is actually happening at the club absolutely well final poll that we're going to talk about um do you want the saudi led takeover of newcastle united to happen uh 88% voted yes please on this uh 7% said no thanks and 5% were still undecided this one probably got the most votes out of all of the polls that george put out with nearly 4500 people voting um and again quite an emphatic result 88% of the people saying yes please to a saudi led takeover george what do you think about that yeah, again, not a not a response that is surprising, and certainly I, I don't think the the majority in this one is is kind of startling. Um, the reason for asking that, of course, is the fact that uh, well, it's come back into the forefront of our uh, minds a bit because of yeah. sort of developments last week. Yet another statement um, about the takeover from the club, effectively. Uh, sort of confirming the 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 legal action that we that we knew about and kind yep. of putting a bit more, few more specifics De- and sort of go on. Nick DeMarco making his own studies. That was. It's <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Didn't when cut he them makes, properly, did he? Didn't cut them properly. No. When he makes his own peas pudding, 
as opposed to spreading what looks to be very fancy continental cheese on it. I'll be impressed. Um, but anyway, yeah. one step at a time. And Nick, well done. Welcome to the Geordie. Welcome to the Geordie Nation. If you can not spew after drinking 12 bottles of Newcastle Brown, then we'll really embrace you. We'll fire up yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And and so this has come to the fore. And I don't want to kind of necessarily go into massive detail about that last week. To my, I you know, I don't, I'm not a legal expert. To my mind, it's just a reaffirmment of what we already know that the takeover is now in its third phase. You know, the first phase, which happened far too publicly, but over a period of weeks and weeks and weeks, when the owner and director's test was happening, that didn't happen. It then went to sort of political. It went to the kind of political side um, with government to government representation. That didn't work, and now we're in the third part of it and it's the legal side of it and where it ends up we don't know but again this is part of the whole purgatory that we've had this year about being so close to something and um you know one effectively being one signature away and then a bank transfer from there being new owners at st james's park and new owners who incredibly controversial we we know all about that but who were who were certainly promising to um to run the club in a very different diff- different way and invest in the city and region. And here we here we are, all these months later, whatever it is, nine months later, and it still hasn't happened, and they still haven't gone away, and they're still trying. And um, I don't think there's any sense, certainly from my conversations with them, that anything is imminent. Certainly, I'd be very surprised if there's any sort of positive development this year. But they're still there and they're still expressing a a level of confidence. I will come back and caveat that, by the way. A level of confidence that eventually they will be the owners of the club. And it, you know, but again, it's this sense of purgatory that nothing is happening. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So close, but still hasn't happened. And so I was sort of interested to see what the figures would be for that. But again, I'm not really Mm. surprised. The caveat that I mentioned was... Confidence on the buying side has never been an issue. Has never been an issue. <laughs> of course, sorry. it hasn't. <laughs> um, but very much here we are, and their confidence hasn't been reflected by hasn't been reflected by the final result. Um, I know Chris wants to talk a little bit about this uh, briefly, but what I you know the other thing that I would just say in terms of sort of feeling optimistic or trying to interpret what's happened, it proves this beyond measure. Again, beyond measure mm. that Mike Ashley is determined to get out and is determined mm. to sell to this lot if he humanly can. And yeah. so it is a real reaffirm, reaffirmation of that. And the other thing is he is not at all unhappy about kicking the Premier League as much as possible <laughs> along the way. Yeah. So I find those things, both of those things, kind of encouraging and also interesting. Yeah, I find, I find those encouraging. Um, I found the, I mean, the, the reason why the statement was released last week was all a little bit bizarre. I felt like it was just trying quite, they're almost, and this is this is supposition on my part, but I felt that they almost tried to manoeuvre a situation where they could release a statement because I think they, ex- they exaggerated slightly where the story had necessarily come from, that it was a leak from mm. the Premier League when clearly it had yeah. actually come from uh, elsewhere. But as as, much, as positive as that is, what I did want to have a little moan about, as I, as I regularly do, is the fact that Newcastle were able to release another statement, and yet the only statements we've had over the last few months, other than Mike Ashley saying that he's against uh, pay-per-view TV that he twice voted for, um, <laughs> are, have been related 
to the takeover. We still had nothing about furlough. We still had nothing about how uh, further about how fans are going to get to stadia. We've had nothing from Lee Charnley about everything that's going on. There's been nothing yeah. uh, about to, to support us. So I just think that as as, in, as positive as it was that they spoke, it also just highlighted the fact that they don't speak often enough, and that we need to yeah. hear far more from the top of the club during this whole during the whole pandemic. The, the likes Absolutely. of Brighton and other clubs have regularly communicated with their fans at a time when they were needed most, and Newcastle United have done what they always do, and that's put the shutters up even more. So than normal i mean it almost it almost feels like mike ashley sitting there going lee fetch me my laptop i shall write a statement and then he gets on and he starts typing away it's just when he's ready to burst isn't it basically all of this stuff comes forward uh but never about the things that fans really want to want to ask him about or want to hear about but yeah it's an interesting state of affairs anyway thank you to all of you lot who've uh who voted on those polls that that uh, george put out there this morning you can read george's piece that's going to be informed by those polls and also uh chris's piece on alan st maximin uh on www.theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle get yourself on there uh, for a one pound a week special offer at the moment Chris George thank you very much for your time chaps it's been a lovely little chat thank you stay safe everyone yeah thanks again to everybody who's contributed and uh, yeah good to chat excellent thanks very much for listening Uh, ladies and gents we shall speak to you next week look after yourselves and we'll see you on the other side take care